What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Let's go ahead and turn to Ruth uh, chapter 4, please. Ruth chapter 4. We are uh, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Ruth, and this is uh, the last part of Ruth, so we're not finishing today, uh, but we are going here for a specific reason. You'll see why we're doing that. Uh, I really want you to see uh, just the glory of uh, what God did through an unfortunate um, uh, situation, and so uh, Ruth 4.21, it says, Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz, by Ruth, by the way, right, fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 11, please. Isaiah 11. And so we see that that as we're in the book of Ruth, um, Ruth and Boaz, this story is really, really important because... King David came through that lineage there. Um, We see here in Isaiah chapter 11, where uh, this is a prophecy that speaks about uh, the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And in the Bible, there's all kinds of prophecies, um, some that are fulfilled and some that are not fulfilled. It's what separates the Bible from every other book in the world is that the Bible has fulfilled prophecies, things that God declares and then it ends up happening. And so this is a prophecy. What's confusing at times with prophecies is prophecies are like looking at a mountain, seeing the mountain, expecting the mountain, but then before you get to the mountain, there's a valley that you did not see. And so here in Isaiah chapter 11, you're going to see a picture of Christ when he came the first time, but also you're going to see a picture of Christ in his millennial reign, which will come later and has not yet happened. And so you're seeing the mountain, but you're also seeing a valley, if you will. The Israelites missed Jesus because they were looking for Messiah to come overthrow the Roman government. He didn't do that. In fact, he allowed the Roman government to overthrow him. They murdered him. And what they were wanting was a king that would rule and reign and put the enemies under their feet. But Jesus, he came, according to Psalm 23, Isaiah 53, to suffer and die. And he allowed his enemies to put their feet on his neck. And he died. And so this is why in the Old Testament it's hard to understand prophecies. But we get to see in reverse because we see it's already happened. Uh, Let's go ahead and look here. Now, remember from Ruth 4.21, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. So Isaiah 11, and by the way, this was written about five to seven hundred years before Jesus was born, okay? This passage of Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah to come. And it says, Verse 1, Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a a shoot from the stump of what? Jesse. Jesse. That's really, really important. The Messiah had to come through the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. 
is King Jesus. And, and remember what's important about that as well. Ruth was a Moabite, and Boaz was an Israelite, okay? And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Verse 2, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So it's going to be a him. And by the way, you can put here Luke chapter 4, where Jesus, he came and he says what? The Spirit of the Lord is what? Upon me. So this has already happened here, but Scripture was telling us of what this person would look like as he walked the earth, that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Jesus walked in the fear of the Lord. So much so, next verse, he delighted in the fear of the Lord. You see that in verse 3? So when Jesus walked the earth, he delighted in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what he, his ears hear. When Jesus walked the earth, what did he say? I only, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. So he wasn't looking and living by the circumstances around him. He was walking in a different plane, which was prophesied about here. Verse 4, but with righteousness, he will judge the poor, and he will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now, we just had a switch here. If you're taking note, you can put over that verse, Revelation 19. When Jesus comes back, he's going to strike his enemies with the rod of iron. And out of this two-edged sword, this breath, this fire, he's going to destroy his enemies. So we went from Jesus on earth to now second coming of Jesus in one little verse. That's why it's hard to understand prophecy. But again, we have the Great, great blessing of seeing uh, Jesus, uh, of which when this was written, they, they didn't see Jesus. The people of Israel couldn't see Messiah. We can see it because we, 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 we have the New Testament now. So let's continue to go. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness shall be the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the lion. And the fattened calf together, and the little, sh little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young will lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so this is speaking of a time that is going to come, that it's going to be altogether different, where God is going to make everything right. Now, part of me is like, God, snakes in heaven, that can't compute with me, but it's there. It's there. Anyway, I don't know if anybody hates snakes or is it just me. Verse 10. I want you to highlight this. In that day, Isaiah 11, verse 10, the root of Jesse, 
who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, or the Gentiles inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Please highlight that. His resting place shall be glorious. His resting place shall be glorious. Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, his resting place shall be glorious. There is so much that the church misses out because we don't understand the fullness of what the gospel brought in Jesus. We have Omicron, it's here. In fact, some people have called out because they got it. And there's great fear that's gripping the church. And we're moved from a place of rest. Right? Inflation has gone up and gas prices have gone up 50%. And it causes us to move from a place of rest. Because we're not abiding in the presence of God. We get concerned with everything that's going around and going on. The fears of the what if, but we are the people of God that need to walk in the even if. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And we've got to be people that enter in and walk consistently and constantly in the rest of God. Christian, disciple, Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath. That is really, really big. Because Christ is in you, the hope of glory, you are always on Sabbath. You cannot not be on Sabbath because Christ is in you. Now, let me ask you a question. Do people you know, do they act and live as if they're on Sabbath all the time? No, not at all. And the reason why is, is because we haven't built a practice of abiding in the presence of Christ. And we don't walk with God like he calls us to walk with him. We haven't listened at his feet. We haven't obeyed his words because when we obey his words, his words give us rest. We haven't sat at his feet listening to his teachings. We miss out on the rest that he offers. So today, it's my prayer that God would do an amazing work in his people that we would begin to walk in the Lord of the Sabbath. That we would be at peace and at rest no matter what happens. God, are you going to heal me? What if he never does? Are you at rest? Oh, God, are you going to fix this situation in my life? What if he never does? The Lord of the Sabbath is in you. He's with you, never to leave you or forsake you. And that fact is the greatest fact about your life. 
that he is here, that he's brought you into his rest because he loves you. So let us pray. Father, I pray that you would grant, that you would grant wisdom for your people, that you would teach them, God, how to enter into your rest, Jesus. That you would help us, God, to abide in your presence. I pray for a greater awareness, a greater consciousness. Just to fill your people. That God, when the, when the storms come, they could just quietly say, peace be still. Because you are with us. And you've promised never to leave us or forsake us. I thank you, Jesus that you have yoked yourselves, yourself up to us and that we can never, ever, ever leave your presence. I thank you, God, for your love that nothing can separate us from your love. I thank you, God, for your promises because if you are for us, who or what can be against us? Thank you, God, for you are faithful. Lord of the Sabbath, may we come to know you in that one attribute of what you bring to the table so that we walk constantly and consistently in the rest of the Lord. Forgive us, God, for going after other things that do not give rest. We just repent of those things now. And we want to come into you, Jesus. For you alone are our resting place. You alone are our hiding place. You alone are the one that gives security. And we find our rest. May we find our rest in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to turn to Ruth, uh, back to Ruth. We're going to um, do a quick review. And by the way, if you haven't figured it out, today's about rest. It's about rest. Don't rest too much and fall asleep. But uh, <laughs> rest, 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 rest. Huge. Quick review. Chapter 1, we have um, Elimelech leading his family from Bethlehem to the land of Moab. His wife is Naomi. They have two children. While there, the dad dies, Elimelech dies, and then his sons marry two Moabite women, and then the two sons died. So now you have three widows, and then they hear that the Lord visited the pe her people back in Bethlehem. So she decides, Naomi, to go back. Well, one widow goes, one widow stays. The one widow that goes with her is Ruth. And Ruth renounces her old god, the god of the Moabites, Shemosh. And she also renounces her people, the Moabites. It's big. And she makes a covenant in chapter 1, verse 16, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, 
And may God deal with me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. It's a very serious covenant. And when she made that covenant, she became part of the children of Israel. She began to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She did that by faith, even as a Moabite. And because of that step of faith, because of that prayer and covenant, she became the great, 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 of Jesus, of Jesus. In chapter 2, she's living in Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth, and she meets this guy named Boaz, and he walks with God, he obeys the commands with God, and he's really, really good to her. Now let's pick it up in Ruth chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3, Verse 1, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? There's that word again, rest, 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 that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? If you remember, Boaz told her in chapter 2, he said, Hey, don't glean on any other field. Glean on my field. Stay with my young women. I've told the men, don't trust you. You're under my protection now. He was their relative. He's winnowing barley tonight, verse 2, at the threshing floor. Watch, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, and she did as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly. She uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled. He turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So this is the text that we're going to be in today. As you see, God is beginning to move and and stir things. Let's pick it up and and go through this uh, text today. Ruth Ruth 3, verse 1 Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? I want you to highlight that, please. And here's why. I want you to turn to Ruth chapter 1, verse 9. And I want you to listen to Naomi. I want you to see what was in Naomi's heart. Her heart was so aligned with God that she wanted the two widows to experience the rest of God. Lay the Lord give you rest. And here in chapter 3, she's now speaking to Ruth. Nothing has changed. The same thing that God put in her heart in chapter 1, verse 9, is the same thing that's in her heart in Ruth, chapter 3, verse 1, where she's wanting rest. She's wanting rest for Ruth. Ruth 1.9, may the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. 
So she's wanting them to find rest. Again, Isaiah 11.10, we've already read it. That day the root of Jesse, who stands as a signal for the people of him, the nation shall inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Jesus gives rest. In Ruth's life, God, Naomi's life, God was working through her, moving in such a way that her concern was finding rest for Ruth. Now, I want you to go back to Ruth 1.13. And I want you to see this because it's really, really important for many of you in here, including myself, we sometimes look at what we have or don't have, and that qualifies our movement. We can disqualify ourselves Because of what we've been through, what we're currently going through, or what has happened to us in the past. And I want you to see this here, Ruth 1.13. It says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, she is telling these two girls, stay in Moab, stay in Moab. God's hand is against me. Now, was God's hand against her? No. No. Did it feel like God's hand was against her? Yeah, she lost her husband and she lost her two sons. And a lot of us, a lot of us, we look at what is happening in our circumstances and we blame God for what's going on. And often God has nothing to do with what has happened in someone's life because people make choices and choices have consequences. Let me tell you a story. I was talking to two guys. They're sitting on the hood of their car smoking weed, talking to them about God. Man, God ain't real. Look at the hood. Why would God allow this to happen? By the way, both of them accepted Christ. Not that day. Once they came down, they got real high. Anyway, so, but not that day. Come to find out later, because I walked with these two young men, both of them had some commonalities in their life. Number one, no dad in their life. No dad in their life. Number two, both moms were crack addicts. Both moms had HIV. They grew up in a hood environment. That's what they said. And who are they blaming? Not their mama, but they were blaming who? Did God do that? Did God lead mom to take a a hit of the crack pipe? Did mom lead those women to do X, Y, and Z? Did God lead that? No, no, no. God says very, very clearly, wait till you are married to have children. You know the number one cause of poverty in America is what? Teenage pregnancy. But yet people blame God for what somebody else is doing. Let me just submit to you that's bad doctrine, but that's also something that the enemy jumps on because he wants you to blame God. He wants you to walk like Naomi 
the Lord's hand has come out against me. And he wants you to curse God and die. That's how the enemy works. He is the accuser of the brethren, but he also accuses the brethren and says, man, if God was God, he wouldn't allow this to happen. If God is love, why does he allow this to happen? When reality, the loving God, he gives choices and people make them. In God's divine sovereign hand, we've already seen it in Isaiah chapter 11, Ruth 4, that because of the death of these people, God was going to use that to bring about Jesus. God works everything out for good for those that love him and walk or are called according to his purposes. Now, Ruth had a decision to make in verse chapter 1, verse 16. Is she going to make a covenant? Why didn't Orpah do it? Orpah went back. Orpah didn't make that decision. There was a decision, and Ruth made that decision, and guess what happened? Good things happened. So decisions have consequences. I want you to look at 119 as well in Ruth. Let's go to verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. She said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. What does Mara mean? If we remember, bitter, it means bitter. So she was so bitter at God, she changed her name to bitter. She's like, don't even call me by Naomi anymore. Call me bitter. That's a bitter woman right there. And then, she, then here comes her doctrine again. The Lord has testified against me. How does she know that? See, her circumstances caused her to believe things about God and accuse God for things that. And then the next brought God has brought calamity upon me. Now, we can understand that. But again, be very, very careful with your doctrine, with your beliefs about accusing God of things. And so the Holy Spirit. Go back to three, one and Ruth. Naomi was still being used by God despite the fact she had false beliefs, despite the fact she's bitter. God was still using her to minister to Naomi, uh, to Ruth, so that Ruth would find rest in Boaz. Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, God could never use me because I don't know enough. Well, let me just say, Naomi didn't know enough either. She was blaming God for things. She believed God was against her, but yet God still used her. We forget that God spoke through a donkey, and he could speak through you, by the way. But see, we don't think that God could speak through me. God could use me because we're looking at all of our stuff. And here's the thing. All of your stuff, it's here on the cross. Colossians chapter 2. It says that your sins and my sins, they're nailed to that cross. That they're there, they're not on you. 
And when we don't understand the gospel, we focus on ourselves and we don't stand in the gospel that when Christ has set me free, I am free indeed and I gotta walk in that truth and preach the gospel to myself. God used Jonah. And by the way, Jonah was racist and he was discriminatory in his movement. He hated the people God sent him to in Nineveh. He hated them. But yet he preached. There was a revival, and all these people got saved. And then Jonah was mad that they got saved. The book of Jonah is just funny. Like, listen, if God is moving in your life, you can't mess it up. All you got to do is get out of the way. All I got to do is get out of the way. And I've got to quit focusing on myself and come into the rest of God and say, okay, God, I might be jacked up. I might be messed up. I might have this problem. I might have that problem. But you know what? I have you. And you are the Lord of the Sabbath. So I'm entering in now. Who do you want me to move towards so they can find rest and peace in you? Church, no more disqualifying yourself because the cross has qualified you. In Corinthians, it said God made him, speaking of Christ, who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I don't care how you feel today. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are the righteousness of God. And it is not by works lest anyone should boast. This is the glory of Christianity versus every other religion. If you talk to a Muslim, they don't know if they're going to go to heaven because it's works-based. If you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, they don't know if they've been knocking on the door enough to get in. Christianity is the religion where God came down and he lived a sinless, perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins. He took our sins upon himself. He rose again on the third day. He did it all. He came down to us, and all we have to do is believe and accept this free gift of salvation. He has done it all. Every other religion in the world, you have to do something. Christianity, he did it all for you. He did it all for you. He has given you rest. This is why the Apostle Paul boasted in the cross. And he said this in 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief, of whom I am the foremost. Thank you, God, for the cross. An application point, if you will. How can you stand in Christ alone and provide rest and security and well-being for others? That is the outcome of our Christian faith. Okay, God, how can I provide rest? 
How can I provide security and well-being for others? Father, help us as your people to walk in the fullness of the gospel. Forgive us, God, for the times where we have focused on on our own self, dependent on our own strength, our own good works, where we've thought, I didn't do devotions this morning, so truly I cannot be used by you today. Lord, we just come against all of those false beliefs in Jesus' name, and we pray that we would be a people that would come into your rest and we would glory in the cross. Please, Lord, have mercy upon us. Help us to forget about ourself and enter into your rest, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. All right, verse two. If you thought we were done, sorry, you know. Is not Boaz our relative? I want you to highlight that word relative. That means close or kindred, close or kindred, kin, kinfolk, with whose young women you were. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. There was responsibilities as a kinsman redeemer listed in the Old Testament because God had set up his law, and, and I want you to understand, see, the New Testament says that everything really is a picture pointing to Christ. Boaz is a, is a picture of Christ being our kinsman redeemer. So all of the Old Testament points to Christ. It points to, everything points to Christ. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 25, please. Deuteronomy 25. Keep your place here. We're going to be coming back to Ruth chapter 3. Uh, but we're going to a number of different places today. And the reason why is I, I want God's word to do its work. That's it. So look, you're going to get way more out of today if you jot down these references and you go home this week and you spend time meditating on them. Deuteronomy 25, 5. This is one of the responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer, and Boaz was a relative, and, and it says this, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies, Deuteronomy 25.5, and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her, and the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel, and he will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of this city shall call to him and speak to him, and if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up into him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot 
and spit in his face. That's a bitter woman right there, right? And she shall answer and say, shall shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house? And the name of his house shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Now, I, don't want, I, don't, I wouldn't want to go around. Oh, that's the guy with his sandal, had his sandal pulled. Anyway, <laughs> New Testament, people don't receive the word of the Lord. What were the disciples supposed to do? Dust your what? So it's kind of a curse because somebody didn't obey the law, the rules of the kinsman redeemer, because God is a God of grace. He's a God of love, and he wants what's best for the family to perpetuate the family name. The kinsman redeemer was supposed to do that. Also, and and that's what Boaz was going to do here, because he's the kinsman redeemer. He was going to marry Ruth, because by law, that's what God commanded him to do. Also, just if you're taking note, a kinsman redeemer, if there was a family relative that was enslaved or in slavery, the kinsman redeemer would purchase that slave and redeem them out of slavery. If a, a family member was, was killed, uh, the, the kinsman redeemer would avenge that murder um, that, that happened. And then also, if in Israel, everybody was allotted certain plots of land, and if you lost your land because of debt, the kinsman redeemer and your family would buy back your land for you so that your land could be in the family. And so there was roles and responsibilities that got written into his law. And Naomi knew and understood, oh man, this guy Boaz is a relative of ours. So it comes under the law of God that he would be the kinsman redeemer. All right. We see blessings from walking in the law of the Lord in Boaz's life in Ruth's life, and in Naomi's life. I want you to go down to, back to Ruth 3, verse 3, please. If you ever do a study on the kinsman redeemer, we don't have time to today. But look, the kinsman redeemer also lives in you. And so, man, how can you redeem? How can you, right? Verse 3, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. I want you to highlight that, please. All that you say, I will do. I want you to turn to, uh, keep your place here, turn to Luke chapter 10, 38. Luke chapter 10, 38. All that you say, I will do. Now, most of us, if we've been in the church in a long time, we sometimes go through stories and we just say, okay, yeah, Mary and Martha, I don't want to be a Martha, I want to be at the feet of Jesus, and we kind of keep moving. But man, when we don't slow down and actually read what it says, we miss things. And again, Ruth replied, all that you say I will do. And let me just say to you, because some of you, some of you, including myself, 
don't listen to all the teachings of Jesus, we don't walk in rest. We don't walk in rest. We're not at his feet listening to his teachings. Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. And I want you to highlight this and listened to his teaching. She just wasn't at his feet. She was listening to his teachings. She was listening to his teachings. Again, Ruth declaring, all that you say, I will do. Have you ever said that, disciple, to Jesus? All that you say, I will do? Like, seriously, all that you say, I will do? Many of us have not found rest because we've not said that to Jesus. Verse 40, Luke 10, Martha was distracted with much serving. See, that wasn't what Jesus was doing at the time. She took the responsibility because it's her house. And by the way, we don't want to be hard on Martha because somebody's got to do the dishes. Can I get a witness? (laughs) There's a responsibility when you own the house. But what does Jesus say here? Martha was distracted by much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. She was not at rest. She was not at rest. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The good portion was not just being at the feet of Jesus, but it was being at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teachings with a heart, I believe, that says, all that you say, I will do. All that you say, I will do. Flip back over to verse 6 of Ruth chapter 3. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. She did exactly what her mother-in-law commanded her. And because of her obedience, she experienced the rest of God. We don't have time to go there, but in Hebrews 4, read it at your own time. It talks about the children of Israel, because of their disobedience, they didn't enter the rest of God. Because of the obedience of Ruth to the commands that Naomi gave her, she experienced the rest of God. Jesus alone gives rest, but he gives rest when we come under his commandments. Isaiah 28.12 says this, God has told his people, here is a place of rest. Let the weary rest here. This is the place of quiet rest, but they would not listen. And guys, sometimes we beat up Israel as well. Guess what? Israel is you and me too. 
Because he says come, he says come, he says come, and we don't rest. I remember a time in my life where I was at a, 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 a fellowship, a gathering, and this girl, we were, we were praying, we were worshiping God, and this girl, Kim, she had a, a, a picture in her mind that she felt like was for me. And so I said, yeah, what is it? And she began to tell me that she saw this uh, forest, but in the, for, in the middle of the forest, there was this green pastures that was cut out. Water was flowing from the rock. There was bread that was there. But I was in the woods. I'm looking in for the bread and the water, but then I'd keep going in the woods. And I kept going around and around. I'd see the bread and the water. I'd go around and around. I'd see the bread and the water. I'd go around and around and around. And she's like, I don't know what that means. Well, all of a sudden, I realized what it means. I, would, I had been serving Martha, doing things for God, serving Jesus, chasing around little jits that didn't even want to listen to me. <sighs> and I was so busy going after and doing the work of God, and you know what was moving me? It was performance. And it was also an issue with me that I could not stop enough to be still before the Lord because I couldn't deal with the realities of my life. I didn't want to listen. I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to open myself up to God because I was afraid of what he might point out. I was afraid of what he might say. And guess what that was? Bad doctrine? Because he just wants us to come. Come to me. All who, you, who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you what? Ah. But yet I'm a busy bee working, working, working. I know nobody here can relate. Some of you are doing way too much. Except for children's church. And then, no. Some of you are doing way too much. And you need to stop. I don't know who that's for. Hopefully it doesn't affect me, okay? But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Some of you seriously need to stop and sit at the feet of Jesus, open up his word, and say, Jesus, teach me. I want water from a rock. I want fresh manna from heaven. I want you, God. I want to enter into your rest. I want to sit at your feet, Jesus. Ruth, chapter 3, verse 7, when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, and he went and lied down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, and she uncovered his feet, and she lay down. At midnight, the man was startled. He turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now, if you're taking note, there's a, there's a lot of feet going on here. Some of you don't like feet. Get over it. Verse 4. Uncover his feet. <laughs> Verse 7, feet. 8, feet. So three times feet. Well, understand what this means in the Bible. When you are at someone's feet, you are in full submission to them. Case in point, Acts chapter 4. People were selling everything they had in the early church, and they were laying what they had at the feet of the apostles, and the apostles distributed it so that nobody had need. Wow. 
when a king would conquer an army, he would take the leader of that nation or the other king and he would lay him down in front of everybody and he would put his foot on the neck of the king signifying that we are in charge and you are under our feet. To be under the feet of someone is to be in total submission to them. This is really, really important. Because there is going to be a day that will come when those who are stiff-necked, who say to God, I will not come under your leadership. That day is going to come where Philippians 2 is going to happen. Where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it doesn't matter if you don't want to bend your neck. You will one day bend your neck. It is either going to be Christ putting his foot on your neck, or it can be in a willing place of submission, honoring God. Because what you can't see right now is what the Bible declares in Isaiah 66, 1. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my what? Footstool. It's a place where my foot rests. God is in control of everything. And the foolishness of man when we say, I will not allow you to control me, you become stiff-necked. And that's not a good place to be. Have you made a decision to completely submit everything in your life under the leadership of Jesus? I want you to understand something. His yoke is easy, and his burden is what? Light. His commands are not burdensome. Listen, I've said this before. As a single guy, I messed up trying to find my wife. I was O for I don't know how many. But when I came into Christ, I submitted that to the Lord and said, okay, God, there's a verse. Adam was asleep. And you brought him Eve because you said it's not good for a man alone. I've been saying it's not good for me to be alone, but you said that and you moved. And so I'm going to sleep on trying to find a wife because he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And I'm going to allow you because I'm in the kingdom now. I'm in Eden now. Bring her to me. And by the way, that's why I hit a home run with Colleen, because I didn't pick her. God picked her for me. Listen, some of you are not walking in your purpose right now. And the reason why is submission. You think you can design a better life than God can. <laughs> That's the height of foolishness. 
When you come under his leadership, it means you don't have to lead anymore. You don't have to figure it out anymore. And you begin to believe what scripture declares over your life in Ephesians 2.10, that you are God's workmanship, his poema, his masterpiece, or his work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared in advance that you should walk in them. That when I give up and I completely come underneath his feet, his leadership and total submission, he's going to show me what he wants me to do with the life that he has given me because his word declares that I just have to walk by faith and not by sight. I don't have to perform anymore. I don't have to strive. I can be last because at any moment when I take the worst seat, he can bring me up to the best. doesn't matter. There's a, it's a comical thing for the ministry that, that God has called us to do. This, this verse, the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek is not weak, it's power under control. Meek means that you're not trying to lead anymore, but you're under control of the Holy Spirit. And so when, when we are meek, meaning we're in total submission, it's a picture of a horse that is big and powerful and could crush you, but the person riding, all he has to do, if it's a good horse, is just move the reins of the horse, and that huge horse will go the way the reins tell it to go because it's properly trained under the instructor. That's the word picture for the word meek. The meek shall what? Inherit what? The earth. And as I've come under total submission to God, God keeps giving me things. He's given me inheritance. He's given me things. Like I've seen him give me, listen, give our ministry houses. Like here's a free house. And I'm like, ah. That's funny. As we're meek, we inherit. And the reason why many don't inherit, they're not meek. They are not willing to release those reins of control and say, okay, God, go. I'm done. I'm done. I'm just going to follow. All. That Naomi told her to do this beautiful, beautiful example for us. Ruth, she did it. And because she obeyed, she experienced a blessing. She experienced Boaz. Some of you ladies, if you want to stop with the bozos and get a Boaz, let the Lord pick them out. Release it to God. Let's go to... Verse 9, and then we're, we're done. And he said, who are you? Boaz said, who are you? She said, I'm Ruth, your servant. That word servant, ebed, it means to be at complete disposal of another. At the complete disposal of another. She was so humble that she says, Boaz, I'm coming under your leadership, completely submitted I'm your servant. Spread your wings over your servant because you are a redeemer. You are a redeemer. And she was blessed because of that heart. The last place I want you to turn, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. 
Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Nick, if you go ahead and put that picture up for me, I, I really want you guys to see this and, and kind of get a picture in your mind. Uh, a few years ago, we were on a mission trip to Haiti, and we came across these young, uh, these, they were kids. They should have been in school, but, you know, it's, it's just not how it is in, 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 in that country and so uh, where we were. And so um, they were pulling these yoked up oxen together. And they were moving sugar cane from one area to another area. Uh, go ahead with the next picture, please. And so we, we came to this other area, and there was this yoke that was for oxen. And by the way, that's Will Fuentes and, and, and Jason Willis. Uh, they were willing servants getting under there because I knew someday I could use this in a sermon. So anyway, if you see them, thank them. I ain't getting down there, man. I didn't want to get dirty, but I'm, I'm joking with you guys. And so... Here's what I want you to get. Matthew 11, and just keep that up there, Nick. 28, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Highlight rest. Take my yoke, and that's a yoke, upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my what? Yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That doesn't look easy. It doesn't look light. But the reason why it's easy and light is because Christ is yoked up with you. So whether you want to be light-skinned or dark-skinned, it doesn't matter to me. But pick one, and now imagine the other one is Jesus. And that's the reality of what you and I walk in as Christians, that we Serve this God, Jesus, who will never leave us or forsake us, who is with us always, even to the end. And his yoke, by the way, the yoke meant teaching to the Jewish people. And so the teachings of Jesus, they're easy in their light, but they look so hard, but they're really not. Because as we just acknowledge, I can't do your teachings apart from you, Jesus. So I've got to just follow you. I've got to come under your leadership. I've got to come into your rest. I've got to have this grace in me that says, God, I want to do everything that you command me to do. But I really don't want to do that. But I'm coming into your Sabbath rest, trusting that you're going to put in me a clean heart, that you're going to renew a right spirit within me, that you are going to do what I can't do. By the way, that's what grace is, the ability to do what you can't do. Because it's God that is working in and through you for his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. It is God at work in you, moving. For his good pleasure. We see Ruth experience the rest of God. Because she obeyed. She was completely submissive. Completely submissive to Boaz. And she says, spread your wings over me. I want to come under you. And worship Team, you, you can come up. Actually, it's just Darren today because a lot of our worship team was, was ill. So, hey, guys, we're praying for you. Jesus is calling you into his arms. He wants you to walk 
in rest because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. It is who he is. As a Christian, you and I cannot be in rest because he is in us. He's in us. And so we'll have prayer partners up here. If non-rest or anxiousness, worry, fear, Martha describes your life, if you're, you, you're having a hard time submitting completely, if you don't have a love for God's word, listen, these are, this is the reason why we have prayer partners up here. So you can just come up and say, yeah, I, I, I need prayer for this. I need prayer for this. And the humility, God gives what? Grace to the humble. And so he's here for you. He's here for me. He's here for me. Father, we acknowledge your presence in this place. And we acknowledge our need for you. God, we want to enter in. We want to enter into your rest, and we never want to leave that place. Oh, great Lord of the Sabbath, Yeshua. I pray for a greater revelation for your children of how to walk at rest and walk in the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Bring us into that place. And Lord, if there's anybody here that has never decided to surrender their life to you, Jesus, I pray, God, that you would just draw them in, that you would call them home to your loving arms because you spilt your blood just to have them in your family as you are our kinsman, redeemer. You have purchased us by your blood. And so may we not be stiff-necked. May we be a humble people that simply come and say, yeah, I want to be yoked up to you, Jesus. I want to walk with you forever. Be glorified in our worship now as we turn our hearts towards you and kiss towards you, Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.